Have you ever wondered what it's like to work in law enforcement? From deputies on patrol, forensics, to some of our cold cases and how some of our officers give back to the community. We'll share stories from the hardworking men and women who serve the citizens of York County. This is YCSO Behind the Badge, the official podcast of the York County Sheriff's Office. Welcome to Behind the Badge, the official podcast of the York County Sheriff's Office. Each week, we hope to bring you an inside look at the York County Sheriff's Office, revealing the multitude of untold untold stories of how our officers give back to the community. All stories from your neighbors, the hardworking men and women who serve the citizens of York County every day, people just like you. Hi, I'm Trent Ferris, Public Information Officer for the York County Sheriff's Office and also your host, host again this week. And before we move on, do us a favor, go check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And you can listen to these podcasts on the Anchor Podcasting Service, but you can also hear us on Breaker, Google Podcast, Overcast, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I didn't know that. We're, we're now on Apple Podcasts, um, and so that's one of the popular ones you can do. And lastly, if you could do us a favor today, sign us up. Sign up for Notify Me Alerts straight to your phone and email at yorkcountysheriff.com where you can get information when uh, big situations arise in York County. On this edition of Behind the Badge, we're going to talk drugs. Drugs. Drugs bad. Okay. Drugs are bad. <laughs> Just say uh, no. This is a South Park reference. Just say no. Just say no. Man, it's been there since Nancy Reagan. Yeah. So here you go. So more professionally known as narcotics. The narcotics unit. And the main man down there in the multi-jurisdictional drug enforcement unit, the narcotics unit of the York County Sheriff's Office, is the one, the only, Lieutenant Mike Ligon. <laughs> Round of applause. You want to you hit the, the applause button for yeah. folks? Yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> I don't have one. Uh, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Good. It's all good. So, first, as we do this every week, we talk about the people behind the badge. Tell us about Mike Ligon. Mike Ligon. Uh, I mean, I grew up here in York County, went to school at Northwestern, graduated there. Uh, from there, went to the Marine Corps. Got out, did some odd jobs, uh, felt like I had a higher calling, got into law enforcement, started out at uh, York City Police Department as a patrolman, and then later came here to the Sheriff's Office and uh, been here with the Sheriff's Office uh, two, uh, 22 years. Um, worked on patrol, about three years after patrol here, got into narcotics, uh, worked drug detection canine for about seven years, uh, was on the SWAT team for like 18 years and three months. Um, was over the entry team for 13 and a half of that, team commander for a year. Um, been in narcotics for 19 of my 24 years and mm. been the lieutenant back there almost 13. Lieutenant. Now, you told me at one time when you made lieutenant, you were at one at that moment, you were like the youngest lieutenant ever to make lieutenant. Is that true? Is that something um, like that? I actually know. Okay. I think. I think that Glenn Williams was actually the youngest. I think he made lieutenant at like maybe 30. It was kind of crazy because I think he made lieutenant at like 32 mm-hmm. and then made like captain at 34. Oh. So it was like two years as lieutenant and then he went captain. And I think I made, I made, I think I made lieutenant at like 33 years old. Okay. So I was, I was like the second youngest lieutenant at Sheriff's Office. And folks who don't know, 
when you make lieutenant around here, it's a big deal. It, it, it's a, it's a thing. Uh, yeah, I guess. Because you you work your way up. You work from yeah. like you said, you started on the road and you worked your way up and worked your way up and worked your way up. Yeah, because I I worked in dope for I think like seven and a half years before I made lieutenant. Mm. Something like that. That's a long time. And hold what nineteen years total. Nineteen in dope. Yeah. Wow. I so don't you, think any of us will ever surpass the great Marvin Brown. Oh, that's with right. Like with like almost forty years in narcotics, but. I don't know if I could do that. I don't think all, my I don't hey, think my sanity could could handle it. Life goals. Uh, that sounds like a challenge to me. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think so. Oh, so you said you, you touched on it a little bit. You you, you worked in uh, at York PD for a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, and you were working some odd jobs. So, so what what made you think? Okay, law enforcement. That's what I want to do for the next twenty four years of my life. All right, so growing up in the late 70s, 80s, mid-80s, you know, you had different shows. Like uh, there was a show that came on. It was Tour Duty. Hmm. And Love that it, show. It, do you remember that show? My wife loves that show. So so Tour Duty was on, so I was like, okay, I want to be a military guy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's my goal, in which at that point in time, I mean, my – my great grandfather and my grandfather served in World War II. My great grandfather was in the Marine Corps. My grandfather was in the uh, Army, and then my other grandfather he fought in the Korean War, mm. and uh, he um, he was actually in burial recovery. So mm. they would go out and just get all the like if there was ever like a firefight or skirmishes things like that they would actually have to go out and recover all the dead soldiers and and recover their dog tags and stuff like that and you know just stories of snipers trying to take them out all that kind of stuff and hearing that stuff when you're little you're like wow and then my stepdad he served in the navy in the vietnam war so i felt like service was you know what i needed to do i mean i had college scholarships to go play ball and stuff and I didn't want to go to school anymore. I didn't like school, so mm. I went to Marine Corps. Uh, go I was, figure. I was in the same boat. Go figure. I want you know. So I go into service, and uh, due to an unfortunate accident, I wound up uh, getting out, and uh, you know, worked a couple odd jobs, and still just felt this need of wanting to serve. So mm-hmm. another big show in the mid '80s was Miami Vice. <laughs> So I went from tour duty to Miami Vice. So I'm like, you know what? I think uh, I want to serve. I want to be a cop and I want to be a narc. That's what I want to do, you know. Um, Is that why you're wearing the pastel T-shirt and the uh, the blazer coat right now? Yeah, check out my check out my like, uh, my look, deck shoes. You look yeah. just like Don Johnson right now. <laughs> no, do you drive a Ferrari? That's no, amazing. I, I know, right? <laughs> you know, we have those at the county. People don't know about them. Don't don't tell nobody. Um, but nah, man. So like. I mean that was another that was just another gig man and and you know wanting to serve and stuff and I mean here I am uh 24 24 years later and I mean still working dope I well, just some people say I painted myself in the corner I was like no nah, I didn't paint myself in the corner I bricked myself in that corner uh, <laughs> I've got I've got I've got a little slot that they send me stuff through but uh but no um I mean, I just never, you know, it's always kind of been like the 
I'm not going to say adrenaline junkie, but mm. maybe. I mean, that's kind of a crazy word for it. But well, it's a job that changes every day. There's never a day that's almost the same. Yeah, it's, I mean, and it's it's always evolving. I mean, you know, it's what's good today is not the same tomorrow. Right. I mean, you know, with drugs and everything else and just with tactics and, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like a challenge every day because, of course, drug dealers are like man, mm. you know, the, the evolution of man, so to speak. So, you know, you figure you you pick up on what they're doing, and you start really nailing them. You mm. know, just hammering them to the wall, catching them day in and day out. And then it's like, okay, because of the they, creatures of habit, is that? Yeah. What? Well, yeah. well, you know, again, let me explain. Okay. Evolution oh, of man. Right. Go Evolution ahead. of a narc. <laughs> of a, or a person who sells drugs, so they realize, okay, they're catching us. We've got to do things different. So they change their tactics, and so once they change their tactic, tactics, we we have to evolve as narcs and, and narcotics agents, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to start being a little bit more uh, innovative than what they are to to stay on top of things and to continue to put people in jail. I mean, this and, and technology. Oh my God! I mean, I remember when I started this job. We had these things called like a one watt wire. I mean, have you ever watched the old Starsky and Hutch? You know, with uh, yeah, with uh, was it Ben 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 Stiller? Is that yes, it? The, the movie? Yeah, ben, the movie. Ben Stiller's in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. So so like the one part where he's got the big tape recorder and the wire coming out and a big old microphone. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't to that extreme, but it was pretty. I mean, you got these big box things. Sp- could and, you speak into yeah, my collar, you, please? You, yeah, could you speak into my collar? So it evolved from these big boxes like that were wires with a microphone taped to the chest um to uh, and i mean them things would get hot and would set you on fire you, mm. if you were if you were doing like undercover work and you had to wear one of those things so so like we had to get innovative of where we put them because mm-hmm. they'd start telling you to pull your shirt up and stuff like that Let me see your shirt. i mean pull and so and so literally i would i had this thing taped to the inside of my arm mm. and it was burning the inside of my arm when I put it down, it was burning me in my armpit. But like I was doing this undercover, and this this the first thing this woman says to me, she says, "Pull your shirt up." So I pull my shirt up, you know, because they're thinking, okay, if he's a cop, mm-hmm. there's going to be a microphone. They're going to see all Take these right wires. There say, yeah, chair. right there in the chest. And and so we just we got innovative. And then, of course, technology's changed. And I mean, I can't really get into a whole lot, but yeah, we've course. come a long way from that, a long, long way. Um, with just the technology that's out there now um, and the way we, I mean, you know, it was kind of crazy. So you would, you would, when you did these things, it was all put on a cassette, Mm. like a regular old cassette. To the kids out there, those are little tapes. Yeah. (laughs) Cassette tapes, ask your parents. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, you know, so we were like recording this on a, cassette player like when you were younger you know if you want to sit around and do stupid stuff you yeah. know you'd hit the record button well we would record on these things and you know back then there wasn't video you know if there was video it was some vhs video from like a van or somewhere else you it know was one of those big shoulder mounted yeah, looking oh things. yeah it looked like yeah you look like you were working for you know a news station or something sitting in the back of a van that's completely blacked out but uh you know, so so it changed, and mm-hmm. and and as technology's changed, we've changed. You know, the 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 people who sell drugs, they've changed. I mean, and and I'll be honest with you, man, it's just it's it's if you don't keep up with it, mm-hmm. like literally, like 
every day, every month, every year, you will like lose it. Mm. You, you you will. It's like it's like starting a marathon and you let that one person get in front of you, and if you can't catch them, you're never gonna catch them. Right. It's it's crazy. And I guess that's what a, you know. Part of it is it, you know, the every evolution of it now. Every day, talk back then. I guess marijuana was the big thing. It was just marijuana fields. Everybody was doing marijuana. Maybe some crack and some cocaine and whatever. You know, now it's marijuana, crack, and cocaine were really big when I started. Those were the those were the three biggies. And now, and now it's you know it's 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 crazy. So we talk about fashion, mm-hmm. right? How everything comes full circle. So back in the seventies and early eighties, it was it was cocaine. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't really crack hitting the, right. the early 80s or so. And, and that, that became a big thing. Right? But it was like your pills, Dilaudid, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So, like heroin, morphine, things like that, and uh, marijuana and cocaine. Mm-hmm. So then you go from that to crack, and that, like, just spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. And crack was huge through the 80s, the 90s. You still had marijuana. You still had... You still had cocaine, and your heroin and your opiates kind of just faded away. Hmm. You didn't hear about them a whole lot. It was just one of those ran. Oh, we picked up some heroin today, along yeah, with y- this marijuana. Yeah, it, but but it was very very. I mean, it was very rare, very hmm. rare. And and of course, meth in the seventies. Hmm. Meth, meth and heroin in the seventies, eighty early eighties. Meth and heroin, with your cocaine and marijuana. So it. Hmm it kind of vanishes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so then we enter the 90s. Now, of course, your bikers and stuff are still dealing with some of that stuff, mm-hmm. your meth and whatnot. But it's not predominant, so to speak, in the drug trade. Right. Like like a huge moneymaker. So you move on into the, the 90s, the mid-90s, 2000, and all of a sudden, early 2000s, we start seeing a lot of meth, a lot mm-hmm. of meth labs and mm-hmm. stuff. And then, lo and behold, here we are, you, you start hearing about the pillbillies, you know, and all that stuff coming from Ohio and Kentucky and stuff like that. So pillbillies. The pillbillies, yeah. So your Oxycontins, your Oxycodones, your, you know, all, all your Oxys, your opiate pills. Well, mm-hmm. that's when you get into the doctor shopping and stuff like that. People start getting hooked on these prescription meds, and then these pain clinics show up. So then the DEA... Uh, has to wind up creating these uh, diversion task force. Mm-hmm. And what they do, they basically started going after these doctors who set up these these pill clinics, basically pill mills to where they're just prescribing pills like crazy and making millions and millions of dollars off of Big Pharma. Mm-hmm. So Big Pharma hits with the pills, and they just shoot this influx of, of you know, your oxycodones, your oxycontins, mm-hmm. your roxycotton, all those things. So that hits the market. And it gets pretty predominant, so people start getting hooked on pain pills. So right. these are this is where your Schedule Two opiates come back into play. And it's pretty easy to get because you can just go to somebody, yeah. not a pharmacy, uh, but you can go to your grandparents' uh, yeah. medicine cabinet. Exactly. Well, that comes into play, mm-hmm. but you got these people faking. Oh, my back hurts. This, that, and the other. They got an X-ray. I mean, it was a one-stop shop. You go in, you get your X-rays. They give you a prescription for, you know, ninety, hundred and twenty mm-hmm. oxys, and you're out the door. You hit another pain clinic somewhere. That's what these people are doing. They're coming from Ohio. They come down here, start, and work back up the I-77 corridor, Ugh. hitting pain clinics. And by the time they got back to wherever they were, 
then they had all these prescriptions of pills that they were getting filled along the way. And, I mean, it just become this huge. And then they can sell that and yeah. to people who just don't go to the pain clinics and everything. Exactly. And, it, I mean, these people are getting like $25 a pill, so you do the math. Yeah. You get... You know, you get a hundred and twenty count prescription at twenty five bucks a pill. That's that's a nice little chunk of change. Yeah, and I guess it. They started cracking down on that, and mm. then here so comes they, here comes the fashion again. So they cracked down on that, and meth has become predominant. And you got a lot of meth labs and stuff like that. And then uh, so heroin shows back up mm. because. Because of the DA diversion and stuff, it makes it really tough. The diversion teams start cracking down on these these pill mill doctors and everything mm-hmm. else, and shutting these shutting these pain clinics down. So now you got all these people who got hooked on these Schedule Two opiates that can't get them anymore, and it's made some and it's made harder. Mm-hmm. So then they they go to riding a horse, so to speak. That's what they call mm-hmm. using heroin, riding a horse, and uh, so they start using heroin. And, you know, something that used to be considered nasty, oh, needles and all this, people are starting to use heroin. So then all of a sudden you get this influx of heroin. And so these people who are on heroin are down and dirty all the time and just feeling like, you know, crap trying to come off of it or or to be able to function, Mm -hmm. and they start using meth. So the cartels, you know, they understand this. They see it. So they start just blasting the drug trade with heroin and meth. They got these super labs over in Mexico. I mean, the prices are practically, I mean, nothing. Right. I mean, you're, you're getting this stuff, and it's just crazy. So, so now heroin and meth have just spread like wildfire. Um, and, and, then, and they're mixing it with other stuff like well, fentanyl. And all well, and then all of a sudden here over the past about five years— all of a sudden, you got uh, the fentanyl that's come into play, the fentanyls, and they're you know people who are hooked on heroin are now using fentanyl. They're you know they're getting fentanyl shipped in the mail, and they're mixing it with pill binder and pressing all these pills out, these fentanyl pills out, and that's what one of the biggest reasons why we're having the overdoses that we're having is for the simple fact that there's no set way on how they make these pills and how they mix it. It's not like some scientific mm-hmm. method that they're going through to make sure every pill has the exact same amount. So right. you buy 10 pills, there might be two of them that are nothing but pure fentanyl. So then they take five of them, nothing happens. They take five more, and those five, those other five that they take have two or three that are nothing but pure fentanyl, and then boom, we're getting these overdoses. And it's, it's just, it, it, we have gotten just... It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous what we're trying to battle right now, with with the pills, with the with the fentanyl pills. Do you do you see the the you talk about the fashion of it? But is this going to go down, and there will be something new out there, or what? Prediction, I guess. Speculation. My prediction and speculation is this: I think that the fentanyl and those things are here to stay until we crack down really hard on it and we're able to make a dent in it and I don't know if we'll ever be able to do that just because of supply and demand and how in high demand it is at this point in time with the meth, the heroin, the fentanyl, um, the overdoses. I think until we can come up with some more stringent laws mm-hmm. in regards to our, our laws on the fentanyl and you know the people who are selling these drugs to these people um, I think until we can until we can get that solidified, um, 
and our laws is it's a tough battle. Well, I mean, because we could see the we see our day we get daily reports every day of what people you know what EMS fire us everybody does and it's overdose at X address overdose at X address overdose and the ages range from right. teens and to yeah fifty year olds. And the problem, and see, the other problem with that, trend is that there are some people who have overdosed that we don't ever know that they did for the mere fact of, you know, there might have been a response out and because they refused medical treatment or they were given Narcan or whatever and refused to get, you know, refused any more medical treatment, we don't hear about those mm-hmm. cases. So there's tons more out there that we're not hearing about. Right. And the other problem of it is, is now that, you know, with the Narcan, you know, you have you have certain places that are giving Narcan out to free. Mm. So they're basically all getting together, you know, okay, we're going to get high. I'm going to do it first. If you see me go down, you know, you hit me with Narcan, bring me back, and I'll do the same for you. So, we, of course, you've got that yeah. going on as well. So, I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's an ongoing problem that I don't know that I hope that we can get a handle on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we ever will, at least in my time. Um, because of the Narcan, we we talk about Narcan. Where every deputy, everybody has two shots of Narcan in their yep. car. Everybody does. Yep. And if you're the closest person, you go and if they're overdosing, you're supposed to go, you know, yeah. Narcan them. Yeah. But then there are times when, you know, these people have OD'd and you give them Narcan, save their life, and they get upset about it. They do. the the The, the problem we're having though with that now with the fentanyl is is it stays in the system so much longer than just your regular heroin. So what happens is is you dose them with this Narcan, mm. it blocks those receptors, but fentanyl will come and reactivate. So therefore, they might be fine, refuse treatment, and next thing you know, they're sitting there two, three hours later, and then bam, it hits them again, and they go down, and there's nobody there, and that's where we're seeing some of these deaths. And because of the fentanyl and the way, it, because of its chemical makeup and structure, and I'm not, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a chemist, so I'm not going to sit here and claim to be one, but I do know what it does to people. Right. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's brutal, man. It mm. is absolutely brutal. And so all this all ties into crime. You know, you talk about it. Somebody gave me a stat one time. They said ninety percent of all crime can be related back to drugs. Drugs. Is that, that true? False? It's, it's, I mean, ish. it's pretty daggum close. I'll tell you that because I mean, most of your property crimes and most of your violent crimes that happen uh, are all in some way, shape, or form tied back to drugs. Because they want to, they go steal something, sell it, get that money, go buy drugs. Yes. In, in a or, or, um. You got somebody, one drug dealer or somebody who wants to make a name for themselves that knows this guy's a big drug dealer and he sells a bunch of drugs and he's got a bunch of money and he's got a bunch of drugs, so they'll go in and rob him and take his drugs and his money. <laughs> and unfortunately, when that happens, most of your drug dealers are what? Armed. Yes. So you got one armed person going after another armed person, and generally you have a, you know, a, a recipe for complete disaster. And that's why you have shootouts. That's why you have... You know, the violent crime that you have surrounding drugs and the drug trade, um, it's just, it's crazy, man. And it's been going on, like you said, since the 70s-ish. Yeah. <laughs> probably before that in the probably. 60s and everything. So. Probably, but it was it, free love so and pot then. <laughs> That's right, marijuana and everything. <laughs> Let's go to Woodstock, smoke a few doobies and have fun, listen and to the Doobie Brothers, we're good to go. What's well, the thing, you know, you don't see many, many 
marijuana cases anymore because of the change in the environment and whatnot. Oh, we see them, and we have them, but people, when you... Honestly, this is this is the mentality of society today, and this is what some of the younger, younger, I guess the younger crowd think. They don't. When I ask somebody, okay, um, so how much dope do you have? What do you mean? I ain't got no dope. Mm, yeah, you do. I smell it. Oh, you mean the marijuana? Oh, marijuana's not dope. That's not dope. Man, marijuana is going to be legal. You know, it's it's that's not dope. It's like smoking cigarettes. It's, it's no, it's not. Col- it's, it's legal in Colorado. Yeah, I got this in Colorado, man. Yeah. Your medical card's no good here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I mean, it, you see it, but it's not as prevalent as everything else. Marijuana, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, believe it, it or used not. To be, all right. Know, so so some of your most violent crimes happen over marijuana. Believe huh? it or not. Really? Yes. Believe it or not, over just a bag of a, a lot bag of, of weed. The, a lot of no, it's it's gonna be or more like than a, a bag. like a, a bale. It's gonna be more than a bag. Okay. So, but but I mean, a lot of these a lot of these people, I mean, the bad what you don't see and what you don't hear from Colorado and some of these places is how these dispensaries are continuously getting robbed uh, at gunpoint. That's true. Kind of like li- the new modern at liquor gunpoint. store, I guess. Yeah, we used to rob liquor stores. Yeah. Now they're robbing marijuana stores. Exactly. Okay. I mean that's some of where some of your best bud is. I mean, come on, when you got a when you got so you figure in the seventies and even the eighties up till the nineties when before hydroponics got real big, your THC content in marijuana was probably around maybe seven percent, eight percent, somewhere mm-hmm. in there, you know, give or take. Um, and now you have all these crazy strands of marijuana with THC content uh, concentrations of like 23 and 24%. I mean, it's just unreal. And, and I mean, it's, it's crazy. Was it like, you know, people who experiment with hot peppers? You know, they mix these hot peppers. Yes. You have a jalapeno, and they mix it with another pepper, and you get the, the, ghost. Grim, the, the ghost pepper or the, the Carolina Reaper. And, yeah. Well, Pepper X now, you know, it, it's hotter and hotter and hotter. Same concept, right? The exact same concept. So people just want... And it, it does. It, everybody talks about marijuana being the gateway drug. I mean, does people get out of that and move on to the meth and the heroin and they everything? Can. Do you see that? I mean, it, it it happens. I mean, you know, because what? So, I used to do drug talks at the high schools and mm-hmm. stuff with the street law and all. So, a long time ago, and and I'm talking about early two thousands. Hmm. There was a ecstasy was real big. No, oh, yeah. So. There was this thing that 2020 put out, and I and I would talk to it about the kids that I'd go talk to and how. So, basically, from the first joint or dose of X or any drug that you do, just like just like if you take, say, you get a shoulder injury or something, mm-hmm. and you take those opioids for mm-hmm. it. If you've never taken an opioid, if you've never smoked a joint, if you've never done ecstasy. You take that first hit, whatever, smoke, whatever it is, you do it. You're always chasing that first high because that first high is like the best. Mm-hmm. All right? So in order to get that same high, you've got to take more of that drug. All right? So say if I smoked a joint and it was just like the coolest high I ever mm-hmm. had. Well, guess what? The next time I got to smoke more in order to get that same high. 
It's just like somebody who's an alcoholic. You drink mm-hmm. one beer, oh man, that made me feel great. Well, next time you got to drink two. Next time you got to drink three. So on and so forth. You're chasing that high. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happens is they chase this high, but what they fail to realize is is that so in order to do this, to get that good, that great feeling that you get, there's a there's a gland in the back of the brain called that produces dopamine. Mm-hmm. All right, dopamine is like when you score that first point or you make that touchdown or whatever it is mm-hmm. that creates that great euphoria in your body is because of dopamine. So when you start doing these drugs and you're you 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 have prolonged drug use. At some point in time, that gland literally shuts down in your body. Mm-hmm. It, it no longer produces any dopamine. No more feeling. No more feeling. Yeah, exactly. So you're having to take these drugs to supplement for that, to get that high, to supplement for it. And what basically winds up happening is, is that that's why you have all these people who use drugs that wind up going into depression and all these other things, and they start having, you know, these... You get a chemical imbalance in the body, and so they have to start taking things like lithium and doing, you know, prescription drugs in order to kind of equal them out and make them a normal person. You know, that's you know, so and that's why never-ending circle. Exactly, man. And these, you know, and trying to get a bunch of kids to understand that is just hard because you know they want to live fast, live free you know, do all these neat things, but what they fail to realize is that the decisions that they make today in using drugs are going to cause a long-lasting effect on them down the road, especially if they if they have continued use. Wow. It's, it's, it's a mess. Whew. We have gone through a lot in the last 30 minutes. That's amazing. So what else are we going the, through? <laughs> the last thing we need to ask you, <laughs> one or two, Tell, tell folks out there, don't do drugs. If you know anybody, don't do drugs. Right. <laughs> tell them don't do that. But, you know, for the get back to you, the guy behind the badge, um, for somebody who is getting ready to start law enforcement, who is a, a, a young man or woman in high school or in college who's looking to say, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to serve. What is the one piece of advice that you would give them to last 24 years in law enforcement? Oh, man. I would say never lose who you are. Mm-hmm. Always try and be the same person that you were before you started the job, which for some people maybe you don't need to do that. Right. <laughs> well, it's, it's tough. You see a lot of crazy stuff every day. You see people overdosing on drugs but, and people robbing their grandma for a little bit of yeah, weed. The problem of it is, is this, all right? We all have lives outside of this job. We're all human. You know, we do different things. Um, you know, you just stay involved. You know, don't don't carry it home. You know, mm-hmm. just try not to carry it home. Don't don't internalize it. If you need to talk about it, talk about it. It's always good to talk um, because if you start internalizing it, it's not going to do anything but eat you up. Mm-hmm. You you do need to talk, and everybody's like. Oh, you know, I, I'll be honest. When I started this job, there were a lot of guys. You know, you'd see stuff and all, and they'd be like, "You need to just suck that up." Mm-mm. You know, you know, that's that's part of this job. You you suck it up. And but there's and, just some things you can't unsee. You no, know, there's a lot of things that you can't unsee. But I will tell you this: um, probably some of the best stuff that I've done in this job is 
is uh, just with a lot of the things that I've had to deal with over the years and some of the situations that I've been in is is actually talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. And it doesn't make you a weak person. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, if I have to go talk to somebody, that makes me a weak person. No, it doesn't. Mm-mm. Actually, you're a stronger person for doing it. And uh, you don't carry that home. But it um, it's 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 not an easy job and you've got to be committed to it and i the biggest thing i tell somebody if they come in this job within five years if you're still ain't got that warm fuzzy feeling about it go do something else Mm -hmm. don't don't waste your time don't waste an agency's time you know and then you wind up going 10 years or 11 years and you're like oh crap and then you're stuck Mm. and then you're like you you sit there and you're like oh crap you know this really ain't for me, but now I've done invested 11 years of my life, you know, and what, what do I do? do now? What am I going to do? And and some people, it, cre- it causes them to be jaded, and they turn out not to be not so great officer, and, you know, you don't need that. But, you know. So it has to be a calling. It does. I mean, you know, but, but this is the thing about this job. So it can start out as a calling, right? And sometimes that calling changes, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you've got to be able to see it and recognize it and say, okay, this is something I really, 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 really want to do for the rest of my life and do it. But if you come in to this and it's a job for you and it's not a career, then you don't need to be here. Right. Because it is a career. It can be. But if you're that person that wants to come in and do your 12 hours on shift or your, you know, your 12, 10 or eight hours, whatever it is, and you're just that person and you want to go home and be left alone and you're not looking at all the other things that that agency provides you, say in K-9, you know, God, I love, I love, there's nothing like running behind a dog. I, I really miss and, and so much knowledge that I gained from Randy Clinton and that, but like K-9 and SWAT and you know the forensics units dive team dive team if you, you have know, a horse you can ride a horse yeah, with a mounted patrol yeah, mounted patrol i mean and if you don't have officers that are uh, you know, honor guard yeah you know huge huge duty especially mm-hmm. at this point in time in, in law enforcement i mean that is just a huge duty for somebody you know who's willing to go and go that extra mile for officers following officers mm-hmm. and stuff you know i've got a lot of respect for those people on honor guard um you know, so, you know, you've, you've got to do those things. And if you have officers that are doing those things, and those are probably the officers that are going to, it's a career for them. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to last. They're going to last. But if, if, if those officers aren't able to participate or choose not to participate in those things, then the likelihood of you retaining that officer, I, I would probably say at least, and then be, I'm not saying that officers that come in here, that just want to do their 12 or their 10 or their 8 and go home aren't good officers because we do have a lot yeah, of good officers that of do that. do that. That's their choice. But if you're looking forward to the end of your shift and just getting away from this place, then you probably don't need to be here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying and – and that's harsh, but sometimes you have to sit down and you have to have self-reflection. And I think every officer – I think every officer should sit down and reflect – and do a little bit of self-reflection and kind of, you know, self-evaluate themselves. And and if you're not doing that, then then you need to start. You you need that time of reflection. 
you know, and it could be every three months, it could be every six months, it could be every year. Mm-hmm. But you need to self-reflect on the job that you're doing and and really what is my purpose. And with that being said, we have a lot of prior military that come in to yes. this job. I'll tell them right now and listen closely. <laughs> listen very close because I should have bought my military time when I came into this job because I would have 26 years now. Listen very closely to me, those of you that are in the military or getting out of the military and looking at a career in law enforcement. Buy your military time when you come in the door because I can promise you it's a lot cheaper when you walk in the door instead of trying to buy it with 24 years in and because it's a lot expensive and you can't even afford it. Yeah, uh, You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. Just go ahead, take the loan, buy it. The loan, I promise you, will probably be paid off within five years. You won't miss the money starting out. If you're not missing it starting out, then you'll never miss it. So do it. I will say this after eight years of being here. I wish I would have bought my military time day one because <laughs> it is – it is very expensive. I think, I think honestly, as an agency, and I and I, I think I spoke with Captain Moore about this one time before, I think we're doing a great disservice to officers <clears throat> when they come into this job if we're not encouraging them to do that, especially mm-hmm. if they have prior military service. I think it's a not only not only should, especially if you're not a career military person that is uh, that has retired out of the military, because I mean even even if you are you can still buy 5 or 6 years and it's not going to hurt you that bad mm-hmm. but but if you give 4 years, 6 years, 8 years, if you just buy half of that time or buy all of it, I think that you're, you know, it, you've earned that time. Mm-hmm. You know, you you served your country. Why not go ahead and purchase that time to further help you uh in your endeavors in law enforcement because you might be that person who did have done 20 years and you bought that five or six years and you know maybe you're just tired mm-hmm. and fortunately you've got that 25 years now because you bought that five years and you can leave and you're not going to sit there for five more years or eight more years because i think retirement now is 28 years mm-hmm. i come in under the old system so it's 25 for me but i think it's like 28 now and so you've purchased that time and now if you choose to leave after you've done 20 years and you felt like you've fulfilled your service to the community, guess what? You can roll out mm-hmm. and not sit here for five more years going, Jesus Christ, i got five more years. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, good. Well, good. Man, we covered a lot. We sure did. Mike Ligon, thank you. Well, thank thank you. you for coming in here. We talked drugs. We talked about the man behind the badge. We talked about military time buy it up we didn't talk about me i don't need to talk about that's me. Right. yeah we did we talked we talked about you well we ran a little bit over but that's okay it was a good time good conversation found it i found it interesting and i hope you did too folks uh but before we go please go check us out on our social media pages facebook instagram twitter linkedin and youtube and you can listen to us there on a vidcast on our youtube page um and if you don't know we're already on the uh anchor podcasting service and all your other major podcasting services so tell your friends come learn something come learn about the people behind the badge here at the york county sheriff's office and lastly sign up for those notify me alerts straight to your phone and email at yorkcountysheriff.com thanks for joining us this week and thank you lieutenant mike ligan and your time and your service well john boy and billy something yeah we're out of here uh i don't have my catchphrase yet (laughs) Have a good one, folks. (laughs)